Welcome to Let's Talk Ed. I'm Chris Ford, and I'm joined as always by Dr. Zahi Atala. Zahi, how are you doing today? Quite well. I'm, I'm, I'm still excited about the topic we've been talking about last two times with regard to the enrollment cliff. And, and I'm, I'm liking the fact that you said you're not going to be the savior of higher education as a marketer of higher education, because that's the first thing we think about, right? Is, is our, we're going to market, we're going to get those uh, people. But I'm hoping now we talk about more other ideas we can do, how we can bolster ourselves and where are areas of potential growth for us. Yeah, and you know, we, we alluded to this a couple of shows back. You did. Uh, the with this enrollment cliff, fewer students out there, and you've seen two-year and four-year colleges uh, seeing declines in enrollment, but where you've seen increases in enrollment is the private for-profits. Uh, and you know, is it that they've figured everything out and have solved all of the issues in higher education? Probably not, but one of the things that they've done is they've been a little bit more adaptable, I would say, uh, than, you know, your, your traditional colleges that, that move to change very slowly. Yeah, it's it, going back to the analogy used before, uh, even, even small colleges like the one we work, you and I work at, appear to be like that aircraft carrier trying to turn and and some of those private for profits appear to be those mini coopers that can turn on a dime uh real quick no doubt about that um, they 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 do a great job with their ads in terms of placement in terms of the messaging they also i think are appealing to uh more of the emotional uh elements that that the uh, potential student is interested in right because college is scary for many absolutely uh you know it, it is a change in your lifestyle um and it, it also represents you know a, a watershed moment in your life too that you know okay the time that you spend in college is going to be transformational but then the expected outcome is that it's going to totally change your life. Uh, you know, it's going to mean a new career, um, you know, set you on this new new pathway. And, um, you know, the, the two-year, four-year for-profit schools have also done a really good job of marketing to that non-traditional student. Um, you know, you you look at some of their ads and they are talking about, you know, online classes, self-paced classes, you know, the ability to take a class, you know, if you're sitting in your PJs at three o'clock in the morning, because that's when you have time to attend your accounting class, you can do that. And, you know, you, you have seen two-year and four-year schools be a little bit more rigid that, no, if you want that class, you will be here at nine o'clock in the morning on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, period, full stop. Yes. And that doesn't work for everybody. That doesn't. We, 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 uh, I, I agree with you, and we've talked about it numerous on numerous occasions, is that we, we still are adopting that full-time student model, predominantly second shift uh, type uh, scheduling. And we have rigid 
semesters, right? Our terms are starts on this day in this month. Okay, we can have, and, and it ends 15, 16, 18 weeks later, we can have a stop in the middle or, or we can delay by a week or two. But in reality, many of those other institutions are starting on a rolling basis, right? And, and somehow they have figured it out. They're using the same uh, software to, uh, to do their, uh, you know, their uh, student information uh, uh, stuff. They're, they're, they're still dispersing federal financial aid. They still are dealing with uh, veterans' uh, GI bills. But no, we are very square and we want to march individuals based on classes and that are equivalent to particular credits and particular objectives and particular grades. And in, in, in reality, I'm, I, again, maybe my perspective is, is wrong. I don't necessarily think that the employers are particularly interested in a listing of classes and a grade. I don't think they necessarily understand it as opposed to competencies. I keep on talking about it. We're going to be talking more about it in the future. Uh, but I think uh, employers prefer that. And I think many private for-profits are more adept at providing this information to employers. Right. You know, getting that that credentialing, the badging, whatever, you know, term you want to put on that so that, you know, I can say, yes, I am a this, I have this knowledge. Um, and, you know, that that's important. And, you know, a, as we record this, most colleges are on a winter break right now and, and they're getting ready to start classes back up in early January. Uh and for a lot of colleges, that's about the only entry point that you're going to have for a class. Uh, now, you know, you may have some classes that start mid-semester, but, you know, let's say you have somebody that now a couple of weeks into January, you know, so let's say it's January 23rd and I've decided, you know what, um, I'm unhappy with my job. I want to go back to school. I want to be a welder. Uh, for a lot of colleges, the answer is, well, our next classes uh, that you can start will be in August. Um, and, you know, you have somebody right there right now that wants to get going and they may not be able to uh, because, you know, this boundary has been set and, um, you know, whereas some of the the private for profits have done a really good job, as you said, the rolling dates where, you know, oh, well, um, you know, we can start you February 1st, uh, you know, so maybe they start new sections on a monthly basis. Uh, you know, and, and most most colleges are not real good about that. And, and that's that's really important, you know, especially when, you know, when we're talking about you know, for for a two-year college like the one that, that you and I have worked for, um, one of the ways that we need to look at increasing enrollment is looking at non-traditional students. Yes, uh, that's true for, that's, I think, given the demographic information we shared two episodes ago, it's going to be the mantra for all of us if we haven't figured that one out a decade or so ago. Yeah, and you know, the the August to May model works really well when you're talking about traditional full-time students. But, you know, even those students, uh, you know, in some cases, you know, they're now balancing that with work. And, 
you know, other things. So they may want more flexibility as well. And, you know, just taking a course and putting it online may not necessarily be the kind of flexibility that they need or, or saying, you know, well, this is a hybrid class, but, you know, still, if you want to participate in the online part, you know, it meets Tuesdays and Thursdays from two to four in the afternoon. Uh, you know, whether you're joining via Zoom or you're joining in a classroom, that may not be necessarily the the right model for someone either if they're trying to work. And the reality, and we we alluded to this before too, college is expensive for a lot of students. Um, you know, two-year colleges are more affordable in a lot of cases, but still it is expensive and, you know, difficult for some students to, to pay for the expense of college. And, you know, yes, there are scholarships uh, out there available for people, but they may not cover everything. Um, you know, for, for some people, they have to continue to work. Yes, there are programs like work study that can help, but they may need another job outside of that. And all of that starts to limit, you know, when a student can take classes and you would hate for somebody, you know, well, I really need this class, but it only meets during the times that I work. Indeed, I mean, and you raise an excellent point. So uh, I've been in situations where we have students in, different states or different countries altogether, and the instructor wants uh, exams to be in person. If the course is online, why is the exam in person? And, and as a remedy for that, well, the exam has to be proctored at a particular facility that's only uh, open during those uh, hours of the day. Or So those are problematic. We are imposing our own rigidity on a population that cannot function within those confines of our rigidity, right? Because, because the world is a lot more fluid when you've got dependents, family members that you're taking care of when you have jobs. Sometimes jobs require you to, to work overtime and you can't say no to them. What do you do? You drop work. I know that my wife had to drop classes when she was uh, working because, you know, she didn't have a choice. Mandatory overtime. Uh, we also tend to to, to block the road for many individuals. We say they're not prepared for college. What does that mean? We do the placement exams. We do the prerequisite uh, developmental education. And we'll be talking a lot about that in the future. But, but we are putting barriers in front of people. Those are people who are somehow able to make a living and pay taxes and everything they come to college, oh, no, you can only read at the two grade, uh, second grade level. That's impossible, right? And, and nope, you're not good for college. And we put all those prerequisites in front of them. Um, I'm not saying we need to put a dynamite stick in all of those things, but that rigidity is problematic. It doesn't mean that we lower our standards, but why did we erect those barriers in the first place is something we need to think about especially when we have a dwindling population, we have an expanding uh, competition. Right. Well, and, and, you know, something I've heard with, you know, the private for-profits in their, their advertising, you know, very often you will hear, you know, you can get credit for your life experience. And, you know, in, in a way, yes, that, that helps with those things because, 
again, you know, oh, I don't want to go take this remedial math class or whatever. You know, I'm 44 years old and I've been, you know, working for 25 years. I don't want to sit in a classroom with a bunch of people that, you know, are half my age or younger. I get that. Um, you know, I, I understand to some extent the idea that we want you to be able to be here to take this class because if you're not, you're going to struggle with it. I get that overall concept. Uh, does it always work? I, I don't know. Um, I'm going to push back against that, though. I'm going to say that those are the students that we have. What are we going to do to get them to that level? That is yes. our job. That's their expectation. That's the societal investment in us is to, to transform them and help them get there as opposed to erecting those barriers. Yeah. And, and you know, again, um, those barriers, you know, alone just being told, well, you know, you're going to have to take a speech class. Speech, you know, public speaking is something that is a high anxiety thing for a lot of people. Um, you know, in fact, I saw a survey one time that people fear public speaking more than they fear death. Uh, so, you know, for some people, you know, if, oh, well, if you want to, you know, take this program, you have to take a speech class. That may be enough that they're like, I'm out. Um, yeah. And I've seen similar things. I've seen uh, like... Uh... People who work in construction and they do the scheduling and they do the uh, the uh, pricing and whatnot. They use massive spreadsheets and and do calculations and what have you. And we're going, oh, now you don't have them. You need to take arithmetics. Well, what is it that they're doing, right? Somehow, roads and buildings and and whatnot are being erected because of their work. Yet we're saying you're not good enough to take an introductory class. Right. And, you know, there again, you, you take some of these and, and you look at like a career and technical program, for instance, and, um, you know, to to stereotype a little bit. But, you know, those are the people that tend to prefer working with their hands, tend to not enjoy the classroom experience as much. Um, and very often in those programs, we still want them to take certain classes, you know, certain math-based classes or, you know, speech-based classes. Well, maybe, you know, one of the solutions is really finding a way to contextualize those. So you are taking something that meets those requirements, but is more applicable to what they're doing. And, you know, I can remember you and I having long discussions about that, that same concept that, um, you know, let, let's let's help them excel. Let's help them get to the finish line in, instead of just saying, well, you know, we offer calculus and that's what you're going to take. Well, even in calculus, right? It's, it's the ability of relating to what the individual knows or what their interests uh, lie in as opposed to resolving equations. You know, mm -hmm. he, we talked, uh, when we're talking with Lynn uh, Neitzel last week, we talked about those uh, um, uh, attributions in, in MLA and uh, APA uh, uh, citations. Why? 
if if the if the idea is to get the individual to express themselves using words, then why to bog them down with this? And how is that not putting an obstacle in front of them? All of those things and many other things have been disregarded because this is the way we've operated. This is what we consider to be rigor. This is what we consider to be standards. And then we go into say, well, okay, now we need to reach more non-traditional students, more of the students that haven't been in, in the classroom forever, more of the students that haven't been completed, uh, that haven't completed college, or the people who are working and have families. And we're competing against the universities that have the same issues that are also trying to expand their community education. They're trying to, uh, to increase their business uh, and industry education. And yet we are not willing to think about the audience. We are not willing uh, to meet them somewhere in between. Right. And, you know, we've talked a lot about academics specifically, but, you know, there's also the support services there, too. So, you know, let, let's say we do a really good job um, offering evening and weekend classes. And that really works for people that are, you know, working full time. And, you know, now they're able to come out and take classes, but the library closes at four o'clock. Or, you know, the cafeteria is open for lunch, uh, but not dinner. Um, you know, there, there are no advisors available after five o'clock. Uh, you know, all of those support services also need to be there, too. So, you know, there, there is an expense that comes with all of this. Uh, that, you know, you, you make all of these services available and figure out how to do that. And, you know, yes, that's expensive if you're going to start opening things that, that haven't been opened, if you're going to have people available that haven't been available. Uh, but other places have figured that out, and more and more colleges are going to have to figure that out, too. If they want to stay around, right? If they want to stick around, yes. if they, if they want to go the way of the dodo then hey good luck continue doing it the way you have been and praying for somehow to get a boom in population um i i don't think i don't think we're we're you know i don't want to give the impression that we're trying to be negative about our line of business but what i'm trying to say is that for the people who've been naysayers um, of higher education on both ends of the political spectrum uh some of it is right and we've been pushing against it for decades uh thinking we're holier than thou in reality a lot of it could be remedied by a lot more humility and a lot more uh, uh listening to our audience which is the students in this case and and working with them we're and not just being that shining beacon of light on a hill that cannot be touched aka an ivory tower in the in the minds of many Yes, absolutely. So uh, if you enjoy content like this, and Zahi, I know uh, we could probably talk, you know, exclusively on this topic for for days and days and days. And we can rant on uh, about. Yes, yes, we can. Uh, but, you know, if you enjoy topics like this, if you enjoy a couple of guys that are just passionate about higher education in general, 
uh, be sure and uh, subscribe to our channel here on YouTube. Ring that bell. You'll get notifications when we post new content. And uh, you can also find us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms as well. So if you don't enjoy the YouTube experience, maybe you'll enjoy Spotify instead, or maybe you'll enjoy finding us on Amazon or one of the other myriad of podcasting places uh, that is out there. So for Dr. Zahi Atala, I'm Chris Ford. We'll see you next time right here on Let's Talk Ed.